of the week for the Cubs Weekly Podcast, presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. And of course, as always, Tony Andrasky, Marquee Digital Content Manager, joins us. And we have a special guest today, Sarah Langs, MLB.com researcher and reporter. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us this week on Cubs Weekly Podcast. Of course. Thank you guys so much for having me. Really appreciate it. You know, for people who don't know, you're you're the numbers person. When we need to go to analytics and we need that information, I know that you are diving into that, know all about it. First, just kind of give us a glimpse into a little bit about your background and what you do on a day-to-day basis so people know. Absolutely. So what I do on a day-to-day basis changes every single day, but uh, I can start with the background. So I always knew I wanted to be a sports writer in some way. And uh, when I was in college, I interned for Sportsnet New York, and then I interned for, at the time, CSN Chicago, then NBC Sports Chicago, obviously working with Tony and a bunch other, I'm sure, of your coworkers currently at Marquee. Uh, and that was great. I got to cover some games and really got uh, that baseball direct experience experience in terms of reporting all of that. And from there, I worked uh, for the ESPN Stats and Information Group, and that's kind of where the researching came in. So a lot of the stories I would write at SNY and at CSN Chicago were kind of research focused, but I don't think I even knew that was a job. Uh, And I learned it was, and that it made a lot of sense for me. So I got to research baseball tonight for three years and really spend a lot of time learning the ins and outs of baseball, being at ballparks and working from there. And that's what led me to MLB.com. And even in my two and a half-ish years there, uh, my, my role has really evolved and I'm so grateful for that. But I get to really just watch games and keep track of everything that seems interesting and hopefully, you know, help people out along the way with context and anything else. Okay, so we hear the worlds collide. Tony, you meet again on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. I love it. And just actually quick follow-up to what you were talking about. When you started getting into the research part and the numbers, did you anticipate basically the direction baseball was going and just how big the numbers would become? Honestly, no. I mean, it's funny because I got into it because those were interesting to me. And, you know, it it goes back to dinner table conversations and talking with my parents saying, hey, I wonder the last time that happened. And, you know, now I can answer those questions. (laughs) But it's pretty amazing because in, in the same sort of time span that I've been getting into this industry and everything, we've seen an increased focus on numbers in every sport. And of course, when I was at ESPN, we, it wasn't just baseball. I, I focused on baseball, but did do everything. And we've really seen that grow, I think, across the board. And it's funny because, you know, I, I'm the last person to talk about myself in this way, but people do ask me if I'm interested in front office roles and those kinds of things. And you know, I don't think that even would be a question based on my background, something like five years ago, you know, so it's really interesting to see how that has evolved and how people now associate that with those kinds of roles too. Wait, so then would you <laughs> consider a <laughs> Did not mean to set myself up for that question. You knew I had to follow uh, up with that. <laughs> well, you know, my answer is always, I mean, I'm, I'm young, I'm open to everything and interest in everything, but I, I love what I'm doing right now, you know? So uh, just kind of trying to stay open to any and all opportunities as they come along and take advantage of anything I can. But uh, yeah, really, really glad to be doing what I'm doing right now. Well, yeah, Sarah, like, uh, like you said, we definitely, we go way back. And uh, I know if I was an owner of a team, I would hire you in my front office as a GM. <laughs> I think you. I told you that before. 
Um, but I also know like just how big of a baseball fan you are. And one of my favorite things that I see in following you on Twitter is just kind of recapping the day or saying how excited you are looking forward to the next day's action. So like, just can you kind of take us through what this season has been for you? It's full 162 after last year's weirdness and shortened season. How much are you enjoying this regular full normal season this year? Oh my gosh, it's wonderful. I mean, obviously we all understand why last year's season was shortened and I'm just so glad that we're in a place right now as a country, as a world, everything that we can have a longer season. And I, I mean, most teams are about 80 or 81 games in at this point. So we're well past the amount of games that we saw from honestly anybody, even those postseason teams uh, last year. And it's just been so much fun to watch. I mean, you know, certainly from the number standpoint, I appreciate that things are more comparable to 2019 and previous years, you know, but uh that's a really minor thing, but it's just great that there's baseball on. It's great to have baseball on during the summertime. I mean, the springtime, it was great to have baseball in April again. You know, I, I think that was really sorely missed. And of course, we were in a very different place as a country uh, at that point last year. So there's a lot of reasons we were missing that. But it's just it's the soundtrack of the summer. And it's so great to have going on constantly. I mean, that's what I love about baseball is how much of it there is. And I know that Sometimes that's what can come off as a bad thing to some people, but that's what I absolutely love. No, I mean, I love that. The soundtrack of summer. It's, it's so true. And you brought this up and I actually was curious to ask you anyways, just now having the 162 back because you, you know, look so closely at the numbers. Do you believe that last year is a situation where for most players, you just kind of, as people have said, throw it out? You know, it's interesting. So I do these top 10 shows for MLB Network in the offseason entering the year where we rank uh, top 10 at every position. And we had this conversation a lot heading into the season of how do we evaluate it? You know, you think of a guy like a J.D. Martinez on the Red Sox who had a really, really down year. And there are a bunch of guys like that who had consistent track records and then struggled last year. And that's sort of the decision that I came to for my own sort of assessments. And obviously the players are answering it with what they're doing on the field. But in general, if a guy had a consistent track record and had a down year in 2020, that almost felt like it could be written off. But if it was a player who had one really good year in 2019 and then a down year in 2020, it's a little harder to sort of tease that out and figure out, okay, would that have happened even if it was a longer season in 2020? So, you know, I think at this point, there are a handful of guys who had, you know, rougher years and are showing that that probably was just a fluke. I mean, there was so much going on, even beyond the fact that it was only 60 games that it, it certainly, uh, you can't fault anyone for having a tougher year. I mean, we all did, right, in, in all of our ways. I mean, no, it was something that you could forget about these guys that as much as we were dealing, you know, with the real world stuff, so were they. And uh, the Cubs were a team that they had an up year. You know, they won the division, obviously didn't go as deep into the playoffs as they would have liked. Um, but just now as you start to watch them, it's kind of been a roller coaster ride, especially as of late. But just what are your impressions of this Cubs team this year? You know, it's really interesting. Roller coaster is the perfect way to put it. And, you know, they've certainly had a couple of games lately that, the win probability literally looked like a roller coaster and I love to keep track of those. I mean, obviously when you're a fan and you're rooting for one team or the other, that's pretty stressful. Uh, but they've now had a few games lately that really look like that. You can always check that out on like fan graphs or baseball savant. 
But, you know, I mean, I was really, really impressed with the bullpen for that last month and a half or so until maybe this week and really impressed with the pitching overall. I I felt like the bullpen really picked up the sort of slow starts that Kyle Hendricks had. And that was obviously unexpected. You know, you're expecting him to be the ace. And I, I felt like that really steadied the pitching overall. The offense, aside from Chris Bryant's outstanding season, it hasn't really felt like it's been there. There's been a lot of inconsistency and they're not the only team. I mean, there are really only a few teams in the majors that I think are really standouts offensively, but I do think that if they want to be more competitive, you do need to find more offense, whether it's someone like Rizzo being fully healthy, Javier Baez being a little bit closer to that MVP candidate we've seen from him in the past, or if it's some sort of acquisition. So Sarah, you just mentioned offense, and actually I wanted to ask you about this too, uh, just with the spin rates and all of that stuff, the crackdown on foreign substances and the, the quote-unquote sticky stuff. Uh, that obviously was an effort in part to get offense up around baseball, and we've seen some of the numbers behind it. Of, of course, the thing that I always keep in mind that I feel like sometimes gets lost, especially on like shortened characters of Twitter, is it, it's June and it's coming into July and offense always ticks up this time of year. The weather's hotter, it's more humid, the balls fly, whatever it is. But I'm just curious your perspective on, on how that crackdown has maybe affected the offense and where you see it going from here. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because I would have said that if you didn't. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's no question that we hit June and usually, I mean, I looked at this a couple of days ago, but the last 10 years before this year, batting average league wide goes up by, you know, five to seven points. If you talk about through April and May and then into June. So we know that it's hotter outside and we're going to see more offense overall. That being said, there's a larger difference between the batting average through May this year, which was on pace to be one of the lowest ever. I think it was 231 and where it's at now, which is, I think, in the 240s, maybe 245 ish. So that is a larger difference. However, you could also say that that could be because these players are so good and we weren't going to set a record for futile offense across the league. I think that it is probably playing some sort of role, but I'm not sure that it's going to be fully perceptible. I mean, I I do think it's worth noting that, you know, pitchers are great adapters. I I know that they may have been doing certain things for numbers of years and whatever else, but, you know, we've seen guys go out there, maybe have lower spin rates in the start and still pitch really well. I mean, I'm thinking of a Garrett Cole start where he still went seven innings. You know, he allowed a home run in the first. I want to say it was his first start after, Uh, This was all officially uh, in effect and he still pitched well because ultimately good pitchers are going to be good pitchers. They're not necessarily products of this. And I think that some of the narrative seems to assume they are, and there may be guys who are, but I don't think that that's true across the board. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, that these guys are used to adapting and adjusting and that's the name of the game besides looking at the batting average, how that can tick up this time of year. Are there any other numbers in particular this season that have caught your attention that you've been keeping an eye on that is either, you know, surprising you because it has stayed consistent or hasn't. And it's just kind of jumping out. Well, league wide, I'm not so sure, but I mean, I mentioned offense overall beforehand and you know, the Astros are far and away the best offensive team this year. And I'm not sure we really expected that from them. So that that's something that's really stood out to me. I mean, a stat I like to look at is called weighted runs created plus. So all you need to know with it is that hundred is league average The Astros are around 124 right now, and the next best team is about 112. 
Um, and for your Cubs context, they're at 93. So that's 7% uh, worse than league average, but a lot of teams are there. They're at 93 and that's tied for like 13th. So, you know, this kind of gets what we were talking about before, obviously not just batting average, but another stat and I'm sure that the league-wide WRC plus is pretty close to some of the lows we've seen. But again, it feels like there are a lot of dynamic offenses that are waiting to break out. And I think the Cubs could absolutely be one of those. So I'm really hopeful that as the season continues, I'm not noticing that big gap anymore. And it is a little bit closer. Yeah, and with the Cubs too, I, I guess um, offense or otherwise, when you look at it, what kind of stats have stood out to you? Because as we talk, we're the exact halfway point in the season. And um, like Elise just mentioned too, obviously not the best uh, point for the Cubs right now with this six game losing streak coming into it. But just Sarah, when you, when you look at it um, and have followed, you know, baseball and the Cubs all season, what has kind of stood out to you from a numbers perspective about this 2021 team? Absolutely. I mean, I mentioned the pitching before, and again, I know that there have been specific hiccups recently, but I don't think that a lot of people would have had this Cubs team as 13th in ERA combining starters and relievers at this point in the season. I, I really think that, you know, certain acquisitions, I didn't particularly have, uh, you know, high expectations for a Jake Arrieta this year, Zach Davies, any of them, and they've, you know, had their successes and failures for sure. But, you know, 13th, that's better than the league, better than the middle there, right? Better than that 15th. And I really think that's what's kept them in the game. So that's certainly something I have an eye on. And then, I mean, everything Chris Bryant is doing, I mean, it's just great to see him. And he's absolutely on the list of guys who, you know, it wasn't necessarily just a down 2020 for him, but I think 2020 really crystallized it. But he is a guy who had track record. We knew what he did in 2015, 2016. And we know that he was dealing with injuries in a lot of those seasons after that. And it's just been great to see him a little bit closer to that MVP level. I know he's cooled off a bit since maybe earlier in the year, but I think he's really helped carry that team. And that's what everyone wants to see from him. And, you know, I think that's really encouraging. And what he's done has been backed up by, you know, uh, StatCast stats. So we can look at stuff like, expected batting average, expected slugging percentage. Those are based on quality of contact. And I actually think his expected batting average is exactly his current batting average, which is pretty cool. That doesn't mean anything more specific than if it was like within two points, uh, but it is pretty funny. So what that's telling you is the contact he's made is reflective of the actual batting average that he's had. So he hasn't had any balls that, you know, maybe should have been hits and weren't or vice versa. Yeah, and on the topic of KB2, his versatility has been this huge storyline in, in Chicago and really, I think, around baseball all year because this is a guy, former MVP, and like you just mentioned, is obviously performing well offensively, but then to play five different positions, he's started nine games, at least nine games at all five positions. It, it just seems so unprecedented and unheard of, and I'm just curious, sir, from your perspective, like what does this – how unprecedented is it in baseball history to see a guy of his caliber, star player, move around as much as he does, and what kind of value you think that provides to his team? I think it provides a ton of value, and I think it also provides, you know, a ton of value that's seen by other teams if they are looking at him, you know, if that is a conversation that's happening. And I don't know about the specifics, like, you know, whether an MVP has ever done this before, but certainly just anecdotally, I mean, 
you know, you think of guys like Chris Taylor and Max Muncie doing something like this. Those are kind of the guys that jump out to me and, you know, the Dodgers, that's kind of the type of player that they've really honed in on. In addition to their stars, those really versatile guys who play a lot of different positions and they're good players too, but they're not necessarily former rookie of the year and MVP winners like Chris Bryant. And I think that it shows a lot about the player, the willingness to do that, to help your team. And he's really helped the team. I mean, he's never really been a great defender, but he's been just about average at every position he's played this year, except a little bit below average at first base, but even just being able to be right close to that league average and play those different positions and give David Ross all of those options to really move other guys around, especially as you deal with injuries and anything else over the course of the season. I mean, I, I think it's great. And again, I think it's great for the team. And it also shows a lot about him in a really good way. And it's certainly impressive. I mean, you know, another guy I'm thinking of who has played a lot of positions is Isaiah Kiner-Falefa on the Rangers, not five positions this year, though. He's played like three uh, and over the course of the year. But again, that's another player who's just not on that same level. So to be doing that and also having his best offensive season in a while, I, I think that's incredibly impressive. Do you think it's something that we can see more of in baseball down the road? And I think of two because of the shift situation. Um, these guys are, you know, Chris Bryant could be at third, but he's, he might not be for most of the game. Um, so do you think, I mean, we're talking about guys that are probably, you know, these are top, like we're saying MVP caliber players, but as players come up, could they be watching, seeing players like this and, and see the value that they provide to a team and could provide to the league? I think so. I mean, I would guess that if you're a younger player, you're in the minors and you see something like that happening and you know that you would at least be capable at a couple positions like that, that's worth letting someone know and really trying to make that part of who you are. And again, you know, I come back to the Dodgers because I do think that their player development and the way they've constructed their team, you know, this sort of dynasty run that they have going now, it should be the model for all teams. And you think of how many guys like that they have, I, that's my, you know, reason that I think anybody should, or any team should gravitate towards that. But I definitely, I mean, I think that, you know, depending on the caliber of the player and everything else, these things do happen a lot in the minors. And obviously if you go back even before that, I mean, when these guys are in college and high school, they're playing a ton of positions anyway. That's not to say that they're necessarily at the major league level for it, but it's not that unfamiliar. It's just kind of just harnessing what they did, whether it was five years ago, 10 years ago, something like that. But I do think that seeing someone like Chris Bryant doing this should, you know, be a good indicator for anybody that, you know, this isn't devaluing yourself or anything like that. You're just helping the team and really making yourself even more valuable. Yeah. I have always thought too, watching this year and Sarah, that's a great point too. Like a guy like Chris Bryant's stature can certainly affect other players, young players coming up, uh, whether in the minor leagues or little league. And he always talks about how it, it takes him back to his little league days where like he feels like just a kid out there, just he's a baseball player. And that's how he thinks of himself. And I think that's how a lot of these guys think of themselves, like Nico Horner coming up and, you know, he's second base shortstop center field. He'll play wherever. And I, you know, I've always thought like, while Nico's out that I would love to see Chris Bryant play some second base or shortstop when Javi Baez was hurt. And I think that obviously the biggest concern there would be like the turn when he was at second base, a guy who's not normally there, a tall lanky guy and potentially uh, getting hurt on like a double play or something like that, I think is, is probably the main thing that have staved off the, the Cubs from using something like that. But yeah, I mean, the value that we talk about is just so massive when 
in a year where there are so many injuries and, and the Cubs in particular have been hit by so many injuries, Brian's ability to play. And like you said, Sarah, give David Ross all those options has been huge. And, and it was a main reason why up until a week ago that the Cubs were right near the, the top of the NL central in, in terms of just the standings all along. And um, right now, obviously, you know, the Brewers are on a seven game win streak Cubs on a six game losing streak. So that number has changed quite a bit, but Sarah, I'm curious from your perspective, watching it and watching the Brewers go through a pretty easy schedule in June uh, and, and now have maybe a bit tougher and Cubs the exact opposite. How do you see this kind of playing out this race between these two teams and the race in the division moving forward this year? Definitely. You know, I, I did pick the Brewers entering the year, uh, I, I just really liked their pitching and so far, uh, that, that has come to fruition, but, you know, talk about offensive struggles. They have certainly had a lot of those. I mean, they pretty much have gotten to where they're at on the strength of just that pitching. And, you know, I, I think that they're certainly a team that could use another bat. I mean, there are a lot of teams out there, but I mean, they're 22nd in way to runs created plus it's 89. So, uh, that's 11% worse than league average. That is also not good. And most of the teams worse than them or even in their uh, sort of echelon there are not postseason teams. I mean, these are pretty much just teams that are in the bottoms of their divisions. And that's not necessarily what you want to be in the conversation with if you are looking to win a division. But I think that barring any injuries, that pitching is enough to carry them. I, I think the Cubs will be in it and competitive. I, I know they're six games behind right now. And as you said, that's because of those two losing streaks and the uh, losing streak and winning streak and the fact that they've been concurrent, but I do think it'll be closer, but I, I have thought that the Brewers had the potential to potentially be a bit more of a complete team, but I don't think the Cardinals are really in this conversation. I know that they're not that far behind, but you know, the, the walks <laughs> from their bullpen, the walks from their pitching staff overall, those are really, really tough ways to be losing games and not, not ways to keep yourself in the game. I, I don't think that their offense has been what it would have needed to be to really fully carry them. So I, I do think it's a two-team race, but I have the Brewers coming out, but I hope I get proved wrong for everybody's sake. I know that the 60-game season was obviously unique. Do you see this year as unique because of all the injuries and over the course, you know, people always think over the course of 162, the best team will rise to the top and we play enough games to decide that. But in a season coming off of the 60-game season, the shortened season, and now we're seeing all these injuries, could it be different because is it a matter of health and who stays on the field for these teams? It's a good question. I mean, I, I know we've seen a lot of injuries, but I, I'm not sure that I know early in the season, there was a lot of tracking to say that it was more early season injuries than we'd seen in other years. But at this point, it doesn't feel that it's so different. I mean, there's certainly been a lot of injuries. I, I'm not denying that at all. But, you know, there's always injuries over the course of a baseball season. I think that, you know, if you look at the NBA, the NBA postseason seems like it has been decided by injuries, but that's been by acute injuries that have happened during the postseason, right? There's been a record number of all-stars to miss a postseason game, whatever else. I don't think we're quite in that boat yet in baseball. I think it's different if we get to the playoffs and, you know, there are multiple teams without their stars. But at this point, I think there are enough guys who are expected to come back at some point. I'm actually thinking of your crosstown rivals with the White Sox. You know, they may be getting Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez back closer to the postseason or for the postseason. So I think until those things don't come to fruition, it's hard to say that 
it's necessarily deciding it. And, and I also just think that, you know, with 162 games, I, I do think cream rises to the top, especially with that. It's so many games that even if you are without a star, you, if you're the best team, even without that player, that will come through, I think. Uh, and that's a little bit different when you're talking about other sports, shorter seasons or whatever else. Sarah, as you've been watching baseball then for this, again, like the pretty much exact halfway point for most teams right now, what storylines have stood out to you so far that you've just really enjoyed watching and, and following the most? Oh my gosh. I mean, the easy, immediate answer has to be Shohei Otani. I know his start at Yankee Stadium did not go as planned, but that doesn't even matter for this conversation as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he had two home runs and then he made a start the next day. He is just absolutely incredible. He's leading the majors in home runs. And it's really cool because, you know, I, I think we all remember when he signed, when he came over from Japan and this is what it was potentially what it could be, right? Like this was kind of the best case scenario and those don't always actually happen. And it took a few years. He was really good as a pitcher in 2018, but he did get injured. He wasn't really able to do both at the same time. He didn't get to hit on days when he pitched. Then in 2019, he didn't pitch at all. 2020, he tried, it didn't quite work. And now he's one of the best offensive players in the majors and also a really good pitcher who had a bad start the other night, but a really good pitcher with an amazing, amazing pitch with his splitter. And I just love how into it everybody is. I mean, it, it, when he pitches and when he plays, when he homers, he's one of those players where, you know, athletes in all sports are commenting on it. They're tweeting about it. And that's just a whole other level. And I love to see that for baseball. Yeah, I think it's absolutely great for the sport, great for him, just everything in, in the home run derby, like all of that. Yes. Um, but to another storyline that kind of came to my head as you were talking, because that, you know, you're talking about the star or one of the stars in the league. And then I find it interesting, the storylines this year with the guys that you don't know much about because of the injuries who are getting called up. I mean, I think specifically for us, I know he just got hurt. Um, during this Brewers series, but Patrick Wisdom, he's had a huge impact on the Cubs and a lot of guys who have come up from AAA. Um, they're not the Shohei Otanis, but man, um, have they proven valuable for teams during um, when they've had injuries. Definitely. And I mean, he's been, you know, completely a revelation. I mean, I know we were all, I feel like everyone was kind of aware of him um, when he was getting his different chances with the Cardinals and everything, just because of the name, because it's a great name, right? Yeah, so right. it's really yeah. memorable. Yeah, fun with it. <laughs> yeah, but no, he's been great. And, you know, I love to see that because as you're saying, as great as the stars are, I mean, one of the amazing things about baseball is that everyone figures it out at a different time. Not everybody is 22 years old, winning a rookie of the year award in contention for an MVP really, really young, or even 26 years old, like Shohei Otani and doing that after a full professional career elsewhere. I mean, some guys don't figure out until they're practically 30. And it's really cool to see that baseball is the type of sport where there is, you know, latitude for that to happen. And even if it's just because of these injuries or whatever else, I mean, also thinking of, I know he hasn't played as well lately, but early in the season, your mean Mercedes, I mean, that was absolutely incredible for the White Sox. You know, his first two games of the season was at eight straight hits to start the season, a 29 year old rookie and Adolis Garcia on the Rangers was up there in the conversation for most homers in the American league for a while. He's like a 26 seven-year-old rookie, I want to say. So it's really cool to see that. And that's, you know, a, a silver lining of injuries, let's say, is that we do get to see these guys get regular playing time and show that they deserve it, which is awesome. 
And finally, Sarah, I just have one more. Uh, you talked about your background and, you know, the jobs and your role and how you got into MLB. Was there anything growing up specifically that, you know, that you were engulfed in sports or that got you interested in sports or specifically baseball? Well, it was really my parents. I mean, I grew up watching sports at home. I didn't watch TV. Like every Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network reference is totally lost on me because I was watching ESPN. Uh, so it's just what we watched. My parents are huge sports fans. So that's really what it was. I mean, I, I played some sports in high school. I wasn't very good. I was on like the development squad in softball because we didn't have enough people for JV. So they were just like, you guys can just watch the varsity games. That was fun. Um, and I was a varsity swimmer and I was like, okay at that. But I, I wasn't ever really like, you know, I know a lot of people play softball or play baseball and that's what leads them to it. It was not what led me there. Uh, I already love the sport, which is probably a good thing because if I was stuck on the development squad and I didn't like it, I don't think I would have continued to uh, look into it. But yeah, it was just the environment I grew up in. I mean, it's all we watched. And, you know, I had an English teacher in sixth grade who I always kind of credit for saying to me, you know, you love this stuff. You really enjoy writing. You could kind of do these two things as a job. So that's sort of what I... Uh, think of as sort of the starting point of realizing that that could be a career. I love that. So you don't, when I say Nickelodeon stuff, like Double Dare or like- No idea what that is. No clue, got nope. it. I was totally all into that, so guilty here. But Sarah, it was so great having you on. You're always great insight, good intel, just a lot of good information around the league. So we really appreciate the time this week on the Cup the Podcast. Thank you guys so much, really appreciate it. So that'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple, Apple Podcasts. And check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app. See you next time.